kids, how you doing this morning? Woohoo! Tis the season, kids, tis the season. Man, I am so excited for the NFL season. I know some of you, you're, you're hearing like, man, is our quarterback going to do it? How's our team going to be? Whatever else. I want to remind you, we are 12s. We are not 11.5s, all right? Our jersey does not say fair weather on the back. It does not. We are 12s, all right? So we're going to be supportive no matter what. But I admit, by my number, living a little in the past right now. All right, so... Um, but nonetheless, I'm excited. And tomorrow, when Russ runs onto the field, boo. Boo with all of your heart, all of your passion. Now, here's the thing. We only boo at him for 60 play minutes, and then we love Russ again. He's fine, all right? But for 60 minutes, boo him into the ground, make him off rhythm, see him sack seven times, and make my heart happy. It'd be like Christmas now, all right? So anyway excited for this all of it so fun so also i'm excited that we are kicking off just a short three-week series right now which is going to be just an opportunity for us as a church to remember why we're here what we do what this is all about i think every so often it's good to kind of revisit what the vision is of redemption church because it's about all of us achieving that vision it's not about me standing up here and talking about it or or you know just some of our staff trying to execute it it's every person having ownership of why we want to be in this community what we want to do for this community that we want to bless it do good for it pray for it, serve it in all the ways that we can. And so that's the heart of going through this particular series. So I'm excited about that as well, and it's why we're calling it Schooled. Besides, everybody's going back to school right now, so why not all of Redemption Church in the process? Now, real quick, we had that video, which can I tell you for the record, the weirdest thing for me is not just shooting videos, but then standing on the side and watching yourself on the screen. It's super strange, but that's just my problem. So, but there has been some update even since when that was shot on Wednesday. And so mentioned uh, kind of where the giving was at that point. As of today, if you went into your app, there's a tile there and then there you'd find the current running total. Uh, we have now raised about 45% of that total. So we're at about $335,000 as of today. And there's still three weeks left. And so if you've not been a part it'd be awesome to have you be a part that would be super cool as well uh and so all the way around god's doing good stuff but also that prayer request is a big prayer request because we know that while it's well, i was gonna say it's hot it's just smoky you know but smoky hot crazy the rains are coming and we're kind of in a race against the weather right now with that so if you can be praying for everything to go through with the city get the approvals that we need that would be awesome because that's really the thing we need right now, too. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, get us ready for today. We're going to dive right in. It's not a long message. It's not a complicated message, but hopefully it's a good reminder to all of us kind of message. So let's go ahead and pray together, and we'll get underway. Jesus, I thank you again for your incredible faithfulness to us over the years. Like, I, I think about from day one up to now, and it is, it is very humbling to see all the ways that you have provided, all the ways you've grown us and deployed us and shaped us. And, and we just want to be um, still used and profound ways, more usable, even as the future goes on, as we think about our building and we think about all the new and fresh ways that we'll be able to love our community well. And so uh, remind us of our mission. Give us passion for our calling and let us do it, not because we're trying to fill up our egos or whatever else, but because we just are excited about who you are and what you seek to do to bring flourishing in our world. And so Jesus, we look to you, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in your good and awesome name. Amen. 
All right, so fun fact, actually. Um, while our very first service was in this room in uh, uh, 2011, October of 2011, that first Sunday in October, Redemption Church was actually born technically in September of 2011. So this is our birthday month as a church. And if you're not familiar with the story, we started in a living room in a short little meeting, kind of the last week of September that year. And we kind of sat down and we're like, okay, we want to start a church. What should we call it? Where are we going to meet? What are we going to do? How are we going to put this whole thing together? And in just a series of days, a week, Redemption Church was born. And it was an incredible startup. And we were all fueled by adrenaline and caffeine and busyness and running around and everything else. And, and by God's grace, things got underway. Now, if you want to know more about kind of our history as a church, we're going to have a, have a membership class here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're just starting off our Monday night live program. Scott's going to start that off here next Monday night with kind of a three-week series and basic Christian beliefs and doctrine. And then after that, we're going to have a membership class. If you want to find out more, you can be a part of that as well. But we got underway. And because we were underway so rapidly, it was like we were scrambling to put together like our bylaws and what we're here for and what we do and, and everything else. And so we just kind of like, it was like, it was like getting a plane up and off the ground flying. And then once it's up in the air flying, you started to build it. You know, that's the way it kind of felt in the start of the church. But eventually we got underway. And for about five years, we were just kind of doing our thing and we were learning as we went. And we finally got to a point where we said, you know what, we can breathe a little bit. And, and because of that, we wanted to step back and then just kind of assess ourselves. How are we doing? What's important to us? Could we articulate who we are better? And so we brought in an outside group called the Unstuck Group to sit down with our staff and just kind of work through those very questions. And what was great about this is that their job was not to come in and tell us, hey, here's what you need to do to grow, or here's what you do to, you know, kind of execute a faithful vision. They instead came in, and their only job was to question, hey, what's important to you? And could you prove it's important to you based on what you do, based on what you emphasize and kind of the feel of your church and everything else? And that was a really helpful process. It wasn't easy, but it was helpful because it caused us to ask some real questions of ourselves. From that, eventually, we as a staff, we got away, and we said, you know what? Yeah, let's really honestly assess our values. Because organizations can have different kinds of values. You can have values that you aspire to, but maybe aren't totally true of you. You can have actual values that are provable when you analyze your environment. And then you can have accidental values, which is things that you do, but maybe you shouldn't do, right? And so we looked at all of that, and we said, yep, we have some accidental values. So another fun fact, our entire staff scores very high on being judgmental, all right? And you go, that's terrible for a place that says, we err on the side of grace, but our staff's incredibly judgmental. Um, and yet, the reason for that, we, we realize, is because uh, you have a really great team of people that work together and the staff that's over there and behind the scenes and everything else, they're the real brains behind this whole thing. And, uh, you know, I just get to go along for the ride and they're genius. And one of the things they're really good at is solving problems. And if you're going to be a real problem solver, you'll by nature kind of judge everything to solve problems. And so we want, well, that's good but bad. And so that's one of our kind of accidental values. We should work on that. And then we said there's some aspirational values, like we want to be a place where people invite their friends to come to church, whether they're deconstructed or de-churched or disbelieving or whatever it is, we want to be that place. And so we aspire to that. And then we said, then there are actual values that we hold to deeply and dearly. And so we started working through all of that and just writing it down on tons of pads of paper that were all over the walls as we were working it through. And from that, we said, you know what? We have to figure out 
our why. Our big, audacious why. That was the question. And from that, what that means is, why do we wake up on Sunday morning and come to the high school and do what we do? Why do we have budgets? Why do we have youth ministry and kids ministry and safety team and hospitality and women's studies and men's studies and all of this? Like, why are we bothering with this? Why are we taking the time out? Because there's great churches in our community. Like, so why us? Why be invested? Why keep the doors open? That was the real driving question. And I think it's a valuable question to ask because, again, if you don't have a sense of why you're here, then you just sort of just do stuff, but you don't even know quite why you do the stuff. And so we started digging into our why, and then from that, as we started to get a sense of it, we said, all right, now how do we articulate that why in, in a way that's, that's memorable and easy to, to understand as soon as you come across it and it's intuitive? Now, I'll just be honest with you as far as me— that was a hard process. And that was a hard process because uh, I have a degree in theology, a degree in philosophy, and a degree in leadership. And what that means is I'm really good at making easy things complicated. That's all that means, right? Really. Like, and, and so like in our original source documentation, I'm like, here's what our why is. We build missional theologians for the glory of God. And people are like, what's a missional theologian? And then we needed an interpreter to what that was. And then we needed a translator for the interpreter. And the people are like, am I a missional or a theologian? And what's that mean? And how's that look? And, and it was just wasn't memorable. It wasn't sticky. It wasn't helpful. And so it's like, okay, let's, let's really try to get to the core of what we would call a mission statement. Right? That thing that gives you a sense of your identity and your direction. And realistically, if you are a part of an organization, you work for a company, whatever else, there is a mission statement. For example, some of you work for Microsoft. Your company has a mission statement. How many of you who work for Microsoft know your mission statement? One of you. You're getting a raise, dude. <laughs> I was going to wait to see if I saw one hand. I was going to be so impressed. So you get a bonus. You are, uh, you're going to become the next president of Microsoft. I love it. So they're all excited. They're watching this right now going, yes, somebody does know our mission statement. So it's great. A lot of times we don't know, right? I'm glad somebody knows because we should know that. I go down to the gym at Thrive. They have a mission statement on the wall and it reminds them we want people to thrive in their health and we want to bring thriving to our community. Like that's in essence their mission statement. They know who they are. So we as a church were like, what is our mission statement? And so it became very simple for us. The drive of Redemption Church is helping people believe life is better with Jesus. It was just that. Helping people believe life is better with Jesus. And over the course of time, in, in focusing on that mission statement, I realized that in there is both a statement and a clear sense of the mission in relationship to the statement. So the statement is, hey, life is better with Jesus. I really believe that. Now, I'm going to get into that in a minute, but in my bones, I believe that for reasons that are very personal and deep and dear to me. So I go, that's the statement that I want to live by. That's the statement I want our church to live by. When you think about things, whether they're good or bad, easy or hard, I want it to be, you know what, whatever's going on, life is better with Jesus. And that we as a church would be committed to the idea that we would be helping all of us believe that statement to be true. Again, deep down inside, that it drives our actions and reactions when we think about it. Now, when we first kind of rolled that statement out, as we were working through it even as a team, there was a little debate about the statement. There was questions of, is it deep enough? Is it theological enough? Does it have enough teeth? Does it say enough? Should it say more? Whatever else. is like, it's too Joel Osteen-ish. 
right? Or, or it sounds like something that would be on the cover of a Max Licato book. Is that what we really want, is a mission statement? And yet I actually think its simplicity is its genius. I actually think, think its, its simplicity is its biblicism, or even I would go so far as to say it's, it's Jesus-esque-ness in the statement. Because if you stop and think about all of the most profound truths that are in the Bible, the most profound, you ready? Are super simple. They're easy, right? Like think about on the final exam, what's the most important command of all the commands? Love God, love others with your whole person. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people with your whole person. Easy, right? Or you think about like uh, the golden rule. It's golden for a reason, and part of its goldenness is its simplicity. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You go, man, I got that nailed down in like two seconds. I don't always do it well, but I know what I'm supposed to do, and it gives me guidance. Or I think about Jesus and how he was this epic teacher. And what you see in the Gospel of Mark is it says he only taught the, the masses, the crowds, in story. And then you think about all the profound truths that were found in those stories called parables. But it was always the same. It was like, there was a guy walking down the road. There was a woman making some bread. There was a dude digging in the field. There was a farmer throwing some seed. So simple. Or listen, we get really, really deep, like, who is God? What is God all about? What, if I was to try to understand God in a nutshell, what would it be? And then John rolls in, and he's like, bro, I can do that for you in nine letters. God is love, right? In other words, there is something to be said about much with little. There's something to be said about bite-sized truth that is profound and says big, big things in the midst of that. And so when we say life is better with Jesus and we want to be helping people believe that, uh, I look at that and I go, man, we need to understand what that means. To understand that that has real depth in its simplicity. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just break the phrase down this morning, right? And, and in doing this, I want you to understand that every word's intentional. Even endings and tenses had intentionality behind developing all of this. And the way we're going to walk through this statement is backwards, actually, because I love doing things upside down and backwards because I think that's the way Jesus did things, so why don't we do those the same way? So I'm going to start in the best place. I'm going to start with Jesus, right? He's at the end of the sentence for a reason because everything punctuates with him. And that's true for us as well. And so what is it we need to understand about Jesus? Well, in this context, it's that Jesus is the center point of everything for us as a church. Everything. Now, sometimes people ask, well, Matt, what about God the Father? What about God the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we care about them as equally? And I say, yes, we should. Yes, we do. Yes, we love God the Father. We love God the Holy Spirit. But the reason we center uniquely on Jesus as a church is because the Bible itself, it kind of culminates with the central theme that says, you really want to pay attention to Jesus. And the reason we really want to pay attention, because of the Father, Son, and Spirit, it's only the Son that came into the world and took on human form so that we could learn from him uniquely, connect with him boldly, and kind of live from what we learn in a very unleashed sort of way. And, and, and I'm not just the only one saying this. Like when Jesus came into the world, he goes to be baptized, and as he comes out of the water, the Father says, this is my beloved Son. Listen to him. So in other words, the father says, man, really pay attention to Jesus. 
And then Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he tells his disciples, I'm going to depart, but when I do, I'm going to leave you a comforter, a helper, a guide, and he's going to teach you everything I taught you. He's going to reveal in you deeper things that I've instructed you to live out. And so at this particular juncture and God's overarching story, Jesus is the one we center on. And we see in John chapter 1 the big, bold character that he is and how it morphs into paying attention to him. We read this in our call to worship this morning. It starts in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this character that's called the Word both is God and was hanging out with God forever before the story for us kicked off. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. So he did it all. He made everything. More than that, in him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when it starts off in John, you get this iconic big character, eternal, God, light-giving, life-refreshing. He's there. But then we see he hits the pavement of our existence Verse 14, and the word, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we're not gonna unpack too much of that, but just see the difference. Law comes through Moses, but truth and grace through Jesus, which means truth and law are two different things to John. And so Jesus brings something deeper and richer than just law. He brings truth. And with that, he brings grace. And not just any grace, it says grace upon grace. So his theme, man, is grace. What he reveals in his grace is truth. But he's doing it by coming in human form. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, he is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. And so when you start to just distill this down, you see the word who is God decided, uh, I'm gonna become a missionary. I'm gonna leave my homeland of heaven, and I'm gonna go to a place that needs a missionary called Earth, and I'm gonna camp out in their neighborhood, and I'm gonna become their neighbor, and I'm gonna love my neighbor. I'm gonna love my enemy neighbor, my friend neighbor. Jesus just rolls in, and he's the dude with grace upon grace, begins to love and invest and care because he is the one who can give life. And so that's why we worship him. That's why we follow him. That's why we benchmark our life off of him. And we're excited about the fact that he came with grace. Because grace, it does many things. We always go, well, grace forgives. Well, it does, profoundly. It heals our brokenness. But grace also empowers. And grace reminds us of the disposition we're to have in the world, that above all else, we should be a people of rich humility because we have been rescued by such a rich grace. Grace should never lead to spiritual or religious pride. That's the strangest thing, I think, sometimes, where it's like sometimes people in religion that tout grace sound super, super proud and kind of elitist. And it's like it should never be that way because we know we're rescued by grace. But in that, there's also truth, and the truth that is meant to lead us to live a unique, certain kind of life. Again, not in pride, but in humility for the grace that's been shown, this grace 
upon grace. This combination that brings richness and refreshing and again a sense of true life. True life that is to be lived in this life. And I want to talk about that for a second. This idea of life that's meant to be lived in this life. Because if we go back to the Old Testament we see there that uh, you know as the word was with God and is God we see that same portrait of God then in the Old Testament in a different context. And there as God is dealing with the people of Israel he describes himself in certain ways. He says he's the living God. He says the, he's the God of the living and he's the God who gives life. He uses all those different terms of himself. And I think this is strategic because what we want to remember is that these aren't just pleasantries. They're not just titles. See, God is describing parts of his character that's designed to touch the real everyday spaces of our existence. So when he says, I'm the God of the living, I'm the God who gives life, he's talking about life in this life, here and now. In fact, in Deuteronomy, you see God get into that. He's like, you know what? If you follow my ways, if you take my, my leadership and you go where I'm going, he says, man, I'm gonna give you life. Not afterlife. I'm gonna give you life. And when you read the descriptors of that, like in Deuteronomy 28, he's like, your crops are gonna be healthy, your families are gonna be strong, you're not gonna have problems of warfare, you're gonna be unified as a community. There's all these very practical, very earthly blessings for following God, for letting him rule their lives and their community. And, and, and so what I want us to understand, and the life that God is intending, it's not just like, oh, so we get saved and then we have afterlife. No, what God wants to do is maximize life in this life, right? And so that's what he emphasized throughout the Old Testament. Follow me and live, is what he says. And then you have Jesus who comes onto the scene, Jesus, of course, is God. And what's he bring with him? Go back to that first chapter of John. It says, in him was life. And life was the light of men. So he's continuing the theme. And, and I love that description there. It reminds me of times when, like, I've gone camping here in the Pacific Northwest in the fall. You know, that time where it starts to get a little rainy, a little cold. You climb into your tent. It rains all night. It's kind of misty inside. You can see your breath. And you wake up the next morning, and the sun crests over the hillside. And as it does, the shafts of light hit your tent. You feel the warmth. You see the light. And you're like, oh, this is a much better life than overnight, cold, dreary, just terrible and dark, right? Well, when Jesus came into the world, that's the same idea. He brings light, and he brings life. That's why when we say, hey, life is better with Jesus, we're looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, we believe you make life better. Sincerely, you make life better. And so that's why we say life is better with Jesus. That's why we push that particular truth. What we're saying is that every day and every way, we should be navigating with his framework in mind, with his life overlaid in our life to live it out. And see, I, I look at that and I go, man, I think that's part of the design of trying to reclaim what was lost in Eden. Because think about that for a second. Just back all the way up to the very first part of your Bible. First couple of pages, right? How does Genesis start off? God brings all of this life from lifelessness. And then he creates and fashions a man, and he breathes into him what? The breath of life. And then from that, he's like, life is not meant to be lived by yourself. I will give you a companion. And he creates a new life. And then he tells the two of them to do what? Go and create more life. 
and build a life and enjoy life and let all the other life around you be cultivated and flourish. In other words, God is so huge into life. And what I'm saying is life in this life, in this world, that's what he's making an investment into. And he wants us to make that same investment as well. And so what he's saying is, man, life is better with me. Now, you know how we have the proof that when God is not with you in life, it's tough? It's still our same couple, the original Adams family. That's what they were, right? And they decide, we're going to do life on our own. We're not going to do our life with God because, you know, we want to forge our own path, fulfill our own destiny, and life falls apart. And it's interesting because God promised them, hey, if you do this thing, if you try to take it in your own grasp, on the day you do it, you will surely die. And when we see in the story that they take life into their own hands, you know what doesn't happen on that very day? They don't die. In fact, they go on to live for a long, long time. So it raises a theological conundrum. If God promised they would die on that day, but they didn't die on that day, does God break promises? Does God not fulfill his threats or warnings or, or anything else? Well, if you look at the story a little differently and, and you go, well, maybe he wasn't talking about that they would physically die, but rather they would emotionally die, spiritually die, psychologically die, like everything else would decay around them, but they would live for a long time. Then suddenly God fulfills the promise. It still happens on that very day, life stopped being fully alive. Life became death for them in many ways. They continued on. They had children. Their children killed one another. It was a mess. And so what it means is on that very day, they lost the fullness of what God intended. And so they suffered pain and fear and anxiety and disappointment and bitterness, all those kinds of things. Life turned into Ecclesiastes. That's what it became for them. And, and when life does that as, as human beings, I think the way we respond is we try to dull the pain of a less fulfilled life. And so we find distractions. We, we find addictions. <laughs> We, we find outlets that are probably unhealthy. And it's weird because those outlets, they can sort of numb the pain for a little while, but they make the richness of life even more elusive. They take us further away from life fully alive. And thus Jesus came to liberate us from the grip of Eden's loss. In fact, Jesus had a mission statement. It's in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. He wants to bring decay. But I came that they, which is all of us, may have life and have it abundantly. If, matter of fact, here's just a fun challenge, like an additive. Here's a homework assignment if you want to take it. Over the next 30 days, just read through the Gospel of John. And as you read through the Gospel of John, every time you see the word life, circle it. Because it's not going to be one or two. Or five or ten or fifteen or twenty. It's a lot. Because Jesus has a clear mission statement. I want you to have a robust, thriving, beautiful, flourishing life. It was lost in Eden. I've come to restore it to you, and I want you to experience it fully. That's why he says abundant life, right? Full, rich, complete. That's what he wants, right? But the reason I think we tend to miss this, I know I tend to miss this, is I get more focused on earthly stuff than his priorities. I, I lose sight of what it wants to do in me because I'm so fixated on all the other stuff going on around me, and I, I miss that. So when I read this and I go, this is the mission statement, I go, man, I want to really get behind that. 
And, and here's what I know. This is just, again, part of the personal storytelling here. But I know that when Jesus is central to my daily thinking, like I just go like, okay, today I want to be focused on Jesus. I want to think like him and act like him and react like him and live like him and respond to problems as he would respond to be proactive about the things that he'd be proactive about. You know what I know? I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better grandpa. I'm a better pastor, better citizen in our community. I have more joy, more health, more peace, more hope, better faith, just from being in that particular space. And what I also know is when that's not my headspace, I'm not nearly as healthy in all those arenas. I just know that. That's positive for me. I've experienced that in my life. Now, what I'm not saying is embracing this concept that uh, my life is easier or simpler or cleaner because of this. I can guarantee you there's plenty of crap, right, that I will experience in my world. There's plenty of crap right now in my world, right? But can I tell you, you even can navigate the crap better with Jesus, like you pull Jesus out of the equation, right? And it's just crap. He's in the equation, it becomes fertilizer, you know? It can be used for something. And he'll use it for something. But you have to believe that he will. You have to believe that he can, that, that no matter if life is good or bad, it's ultimately better with Jesus. And I'm just saying I've experienced that personally. I know both sides. I know the flip. I think what's critical to this, though, is the next part of our statement. It's believing. It's actually believing that life is better with Jesus. And, and in this, when we talk about believing, I don't mean affirming. I don't mean this cognitive kind of response of, oh, that's information, I agree with the information. That's not it. See, believing that life is better with Jesus here is buy-in, man. It's ownership. It's all in. It's like, whatever it takes is what I'm going to do. Whatever it asks, I'm going to give. I'm going to be dedicated. I'm going to say the whole trajectory of my life is going in that direction. That's real belief. That's deep buy-in. Like, look at people who have deep buy-in. You get it. Like, look at a vegan, man. Those people that got buy-in. Like, I look at a steak and my vegan just out the window. I do not believe, you know. But they believe. You know any CrossFitters in your life? Those people believe, right? They're all in. Sounders fans, you all believe, right? And you're all in. Everything about it just pours in. And it's the same thing here. That's what belief is all about. It's leaning into this thing. And, and what I'm saying in this context about believing life is better with Jesus, it's really believing that what Jesus calls us to what he asks of us, what he commands us to, what he invites us to, we believe is really the best way, the right way. So, you know me, I love the Sermon on the Mount. As saying, Jesus, I believe the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that it's better if I go to somebody that I've wronged and make it right. I believe that, so I do it. I believe it's better to keep my word, so I do it. I believe it's better to love my enemy and pray for them and do good to them than to be bitter and angry and hate them. I believe that's better. I believe it's better to not judge lest I be judged, but to have sensitivity to the realities of life. I believe it's better to pray in a certain way, fast in a certain way, give in a certain way. I believe all those things are true. To turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. And I do those things because I believe it. That's the spirit. That's what we strive for. There's a section in John chapter 8. Jesus is teaching. 
And it says, Then many who heard him say these things, they believed in him. And then Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, like I said, John loves the word truth, which is kind of different than law. And he loves grace and these different themes. But here, it's interesting, because in this section, there's a group of people that go, oh, okay, we're in with you, Jesus. And Jesus goes, okay, really? If you're really in with me, you're going to do what I tell you to do. And within about, oh, I don't know, like 20 verses, they decide they want to kill him. The people believed, now want to kill him. Because they hear more of what he has to say, and they're like, no, we're out. We're done. So it teaches us that true belief is more than just affirmation, doing a Bible study, agreeing with theology. No, it's saying, I want a deeper life. I want a true freedom. I'm going to do what you say. And that produces authentic happiness. Luke chapter 11. Jesus is speaking in another context here. And a woman in the crowd called out. She said, God bless your mother, the womb from which you've come, and the breasts that have nursed you. And then Jesus replied, and he says, but even more blessed are those who hear the word of God and put them into practice. See, this is so great because what Jesus is saying is, you want to really be blessed? Actually do what I say, right? It can be counterintuitive. It's upside down and backwards. Yeah, I get it. You'd rather, like, not turn the other cheek, but just give them a right hook. I get it. You, you would rather not keep your word if it's going to put you at risk. I get it. But he's like, man, you're going to be more blessed if you do it. Because here's the thing. God's truth to us is not designed to kill our opportunities or kill our joy or make life more difficult. It's not designed to do that. It's actually designed to enrich life because life is better with Jesus when we do things as Jesus has called them to be done. In other words, kind of a phrase that I like to think about around here is this. To believe that life is better with Jesus is to believe that Jesus' way of life is better. That's how simple this is. Right? I'll say it again. To believe that life is better with Jesus is to believe that Jesus' way of life is better. And when we do this, it shouldn't, like I said earlier, create pride or piety or the sense of elitism, but rather humility and a sense of grace upon grace. We want to live by grace. We want to exude grace because we have been rescued by grace. Right? That's what it means to really have this buy-in and believe it. And I think in this, too, there's a tone that gets established. And it was a church that we want there to be a certain kind of tone. Uh, we don't want to be a place that is just demanding, rule-based. Like, I have a real aversion to that. As soon as somebody starts telling me what to do, I get really, really, like, apt to not do anything they're telling me to do. Because I, I want to be wooed into something. I want to be reminded of something. I want to see the beauty and benefit of something. And so, even as a church, our heart is not to be uh, kind of just driving, but rather we want to be helping. Helping. And so in our entire phrase, we have this idea of helping people believe life is better with Jesus. We do this because we see this is how Jesus did it. Matthew chapter 11. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Not, I will overwhelm you with burdens that you can't handle, because that's what religion does. That's not what he says. He says, no, I want to give you something that gives you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you. And then here's what's great. You should mark this in your Bible. This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus describes himself to us. The only time he says, you want to know what I'm like? You want to know what I'm about? He says, take my yoke and let me teach you because I am humble 
and I am gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. See, Eden's loss brought decay, brought effort in life, brought kind of sucking life away from us. And then Jesus comes in and says, no, but I want to give you life. In this life, fullness of life, richness of life. Even when life has fallen apart, I'm going to be with you in that. I will bear the burden with you. I'll be gentle and lowly as we go together. This is what I want to do with you. And therefore, as a church, we want to be helping people to own that, to live that, to understand that. In fact, even the ING, helping, shows it's a journey. It's a lifelong process, right? I know it is for me, right? This is just this thing where I have to kind of constantly remember, oh, that's right, that's right. Life is going to be better with Jesus. If I respond the way he wants me to respond, to do things he wants me, the, the way he wants me to do them, like that's going to go better than if I take things into my own hands. I worry, I fret, I get angry, I get whatever. Like that's not going to solve a problem. And it's not going to make me richer for it. And so I need to remember that it's helping. That Jesus comes because he wants to be helping. That's his heart. In fact, in Revelation, or not Revelation, Hebrews rather, chapter 2, it says, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Right? Just entered into our weakness. He didn't sin, but he entered into the, the state of human weakness and experienced the challenges that we do. Says it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested as well. See, this is why helping. Right? I, I get concerned sometimes, and I know this has been true of my own life, where I've seen God in heaven just mad at me, just disappointed in me, Come on, Matt, why do you keep making the same mistakes? Why do you keep failing? Why do you keep getting worried? Or why do you have so much doubt? Or why are you such a pessimist? Or whatever. Like, he was just constantly disappointed. Like, the worst kind of dad on steroids. That's not what we see. What we see is this merciful and faithful high priest that says, I'm gentle and lowly, and you'll find rest with me. And in those spaces, man, that's where we have real life. And so that's our commitment as a church. We just want to be helping you. We want to be helping you to believe this, helping you to follow this, helping you to obey this, helping you to get back up when you falter in this, and helping you to continue to find life in him. See, we're committed to trying to do things his way because we're called to do things his way. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And I always look and go, man, why were broken people so eager to be around Jesus? Because he was gentle and lonely in heart. They could find rest for their souls. Because he is a merciful and faithful high priest who understands pain, who understands suffering, who understands temptation, it said in Hebrews. And says, man, I want to do this journey with you. So as a church, this is our commitment. This is, in fact, our mission statement. And we're going to do it incomplete at times. It's not always going to be ideal. It's not always going to be pretty. But I'm certain of this. The statement is right. And we want to try to do it to the best of our ability. 
Back on Easter, I shared the season I went through as a pastor of just incredible disbelief, man, atheism-level disbelief. There was no God. I was just in the closet as an atheist. There was no way there could be a being that was listening, pay attention, intervening. I just like, there's no proof to this. And the thing that brought me back was this statement. Life is better with Jesus. I didn't have all my answers cleared up. I didn't have all the dilemmas solved. All the problems didn't go away. But what I knew is life away from him, and I knew life with him. And I know that life with him is better. And so our commitment and our heart as a church is that we'd be helping everybody, even one another, me, you, you to me, helping us all believe that life is better with Jesus. If you would just go ahead right now and just bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to give an invitation maybe to those who are watching or those in the room that you go, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not a Christian, but I'm interested, or more than interested, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I I want to be in that place where I'm believing that life is better with him. Uh, Man, if if that is your desire, that is a prayer way, where you simply go to Jesus just in your own seat right there, in your heart and in your mind, and say, Jesus, step into my life. I've sinned against you. I've missed out on the life that you have for me, and I want to live life with you. And Jesus, I get that it's not going to make life easy or simple or clean, but it will make life better. It will make life healthy, and it will reconnect me to the life that I was meant to live in you. You make that your prayer and your way, right? Saying, Jesus, I've sinned. You died for me. You rose for me. I want to follow you. He hears you and takes you in. And we would love to hear if you've made that your prayer. And so I'll be out at the front afterwards or in our app. There's a tile. You can click on that and let us know. But we'd love to know and say, welcome to the family and give you some tips. But we would love to know if you've made that your prayer today. Jesus, for the rest of us, Man, we just look to you to help us believe this statement, to authentically believe it, which leads to our obedience, but obedience in love, obedience in gratitude, obedience in joy. And from that, we know that in that obedience, there is life with you. And so help us in good and bad. Help us in our pain or in our pleasure. See that life with you is always going to be richer and fuller. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the reminder and thank you for grace upon grace, grace and truth given for you through you because you are life and you are light and we are indebted in your name.